Welcome to the 66th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Prior to European settlement, the prairie formed the largest ecosystem in North America. It stretched from Canada to Mexico and from the Rockies to Indiana. At one time, a third of Minnesota and 80% of Iowa was covered in prairie plants. Since then, we've lost a tremendous portion of this landscape. In fact, well less than 1% of those native prairies have escaped the plow and bulldozer. We've also lost the ecological services that came with the deep-rooted grasses, forbs, and legumes found in prairies. And the results have been predictable. Increased erosion, less wildlife, more released carbon, and more polluted water. In some ways, we only have a hint as to all the ways prairies improve the environment. Remember, some 80% of the biomass present in a typical tall grass prairie is underground. Government natural resource agencies have responded by, among other things, preserving as much remnant prairie on publicly owned land as possible. This has helped, but it's not enough. In Midwestern states like Minnesota and Iowa, private agricultural acres make up the bulk of the landscape in rural areas. It's become clear in recent years that if we are to reclaim some of those lost ecological services, A way must be found to make perennial plant systems like grasses, legumes, and forbs economically viable on private working farms. Moonstone Farm in western Minnesota has done just that. Audrey Arner and Richard Handeen are producing beef on rotationally grazed pastures that contain a variety of perennial plants. Birds and other wildlife thrive on the farm, and water quality in the vicinity is benefiting, an important point considering that the Minnesota River is less than a mile from Moonstone. The farmers sell their beef directly to consumers and restaurants that are seeking a natural, great-tasting product that's good for the environment. Farmers like Arner and Handeen have impressed natural resource professionals like David Traba, manager of the Lacoparo Wildlife Management Area, a nature preserve operated by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources near Moonstone Farm. Traba and other natural resource managers have even begun experimenting with utilizing livestock from neighboring farms as tools for maintaining prairie health. Traba recently toured Moonstone Farm as part of a field day sponsored by LSP, Pheasants Forever, and the Sustainable Farming Association of Minnesota. After the tour, I talked to Traba about the role working farms like Moonstone can play in producing ecological services in areas once dominated by prairie systems. In the next episode, Audrey Arner's comments on the challenges and benefits of their farming system will be featured. You know, the whole western one-third of Minnesota was the prairie biome and the tall grass prairie. And the tall grass prairie stretched from, the, you know, Canada all the way down to Texas. You know, here in, again in Minnesota, the whole western one-third of, of the state was an absolute sea of grass. No trees, wide open landscape, grass and water is just everywhere. And, and what people don't realize today is the amount of wetlands that we had in the landscape. It was just water everywhere. And we're talking shallow lakes and seasonal wetlands. Seasonal wetlands only hold water for maybe a few weeks maybe a few days, but they really are a backbone for a wild wildlife population, especially waterfall. But that's what Minnesota was. And then, then you got east, you got into, you know, the hardwood forest gradient. But we were, where we are tonight, we were smack dab in the tall grass prairie. And that landscape, it's incredible, but it was uh, sustained by fire and grazing animals, lightning strikes. And we're talking huge fires. I, I often find it interesting today when you know news media report all oh, we have you know a fire in such and such an area and it, and it burned 20 acres well pre-settlement we're, we're talking fires that would have burned hundreds of square miles until they hit a major river system and then maybe would even have jumped over that and went until we had a big rain event but fire and then the bison herds and the elk herds that followed them 
really what formed a tall grass prairie, and prairie needs disturbance to survive. Uh, maybe what we'll talk to, the, la- the worst thing you can do to a, a tall grass prairie is no management. That's kind of what Minnesota was, and of course, a lot has changed, and really in a, in a short period of time. Uh, we estimate in Minnesota we had 18 million acres of, of tall grass prairie. Today, less than 1% remains. So maybe 180,000 acres, and I think only half of that is protected. So the other, the remaining percentage that we have out there is is still vulnerable to development, alterations from a variety of uh, means. So what we do have less is an absolute biological treasure. And so as a department, of course, we're very interested in preserving that landscape. And we did, you know, talking about the evolution of our management Working with the DNR, we have the state wildlife management system, and our, you know, one thing we do is we acquire land, and then we try to restore it, put it back in, in this part of the state, put it back in the grasslands, restore the wetlands, and, and get that community back in. And a lot of areas we bought, we bought, you know, old remnant prairie, and some of that was in pretty tough shape. You know, had heavy grazing pressure for many years, so a lot of your plant species were were missing, and and I think our Initial reaction earlier on was, oh, we we got to pull the cows off, and you know, so that's kind of what we did. And then we're going to use fire, and fire management's great. Prairie needs fire to survive, but I think as our thinking within the department evolved, we realized we're missing that grazing interaction. And my mentor was Terry Wolf, all the Crookston office, and uh, Terry was, and there, I think there were some older managers or managers before him that were working with grazing on on public lands but terry was my mentor we started out simple you know just bringing cows on for the spring and now we're doing rotational grazing and now we're taking it this year the next step you know the patch burn grazing where we'll we're going to use fire to move cattle around and kind of mimic that historic disturbance pattern of the lightning strikes burning an area and then the bison and elk camping out and kind of getting a, a whole, a very heterogeneous landscape where we have short grass, mid-height level grass, taller grass, to take advantage of all the different wildlife species that that need to survive on grasslands. And so our thinking has really come around. Like we said, the worst thing you do for a prairie is no management. It needs management. It needs to be either grade, hayed. And, you know, and today things have changed. we got, you know, tree tree encroachment issues uh, just because really how we have changed the landscape. And that was a pleasure being out here, you know, tonight looking at a system where we got a, a grassland perennial-based system with cows on the landscape. And, and I'm interested how do we, you know, we got a large public land base, but how do we work with, with grazers, you know, to achieve goals not only on public land but also on private land? How do we build those connections? So that's what I'm excited about. I think there's a couple points you make that are really interesting to the average person. One is that prairie needs management. I think a lot of people think of the nature preserve model where you just leave it. But this idea that where you really do need it, uh, it has to be some kind of disturbance. And that does that's nice because it can dovetail nicely with a farming system that's doing like what they're doing, what Audrey and Richard are doing here with the grazing system. I was wondering if you could just briefly describe some of the things you did see just in this brief tour. Yeah, well, I think um, the thing I noticed was the amount of bird life. It was loud with, with birds singing. And, you know, we got a, a creek running through the property. You know, they got some, you know, different tree plantings. Uh, you know, so just a lot of bird life compared to, you know, just a few miles away where it's more corn and beans. So you, you're, you're bringing in diversity. Uh, the number of insects. And, and people, you know, oh, what's a, what's a butter? Oh, who cares? But insects form... 
the food pyramid and people think of it and you know if you want to relate it to uh, how hunters should view it insects are what birds eat when they first come out of the egg if you don't have insects on the landscape you're not going to have birds on the landscape and so you know seeing insects when you're walking around underneath your feet moving that's something you don't always see anywhere um and you know and then with their grazing system you know they're on cool season grasses, which is a different, whole different ball game compared to the native prairie that was here originally. That's a warm season base, but I think you know I don't see you know their grazing pressure is relatively light. They're in a certain rotation for a number of days, and then they're moving on somewhere else. Well, that brings plenty of height for birds to bring their broods into, or there's plenty of areas that are idle during the nesting season where you can have birds nesting in there. So those are some of the things that I noted and. You just don't see a lot of that in, in Minnesota anymore. You know, one thing I think that's important about this whole thing is just the idea that uh, I would think it would be good from a, almost a public relations standpoint if farmers in an area could see that this working lands concept can work, that, that, that conservation just doesn't mean setting aside land, even though that has its benefits in certain areas, that it can benefit the local tax base, you know, the local main street, uh, they're producing food for the local community, that kind of thing. I, I think that that would, it kind of gives them, feels like that maybe they have a role, in, an active role in the conservation system. Well, yeah, very much so. I mean, you, you know, we talk about our, our state wildlife management area system, and I'll say, yes, we're acquiring land for public hunting and, and wildlife production. But, you're, you know, in Minnesota, what we probably make up maybe, maybe 1%, and I'm, if I include the forest out here in the, in the prairie zone, you know, some people claim we have a lot of land, but if you look at it on a land use base, it's probably around 1%. You know, it varies by counties, but we are a small player. We will not maintain wildlife populations on a public land base. can't be done. Um, so private land is going to be huge. And, you know, with the Conservation Reserve Program, from a wildlife standpoint, you've got to build idle into it. But on the, what we were on the farm word here today, that can be that, that pasture in the corner. And it and it and it's complicated, difference for what wildlife species we're dealing with. But I look at the CRP program, and, of course, we're looking at millions of acres of that program being retired and that land being going into road crop production. Well, what if that land didn't go into a road crop production but went into a grazing system or a haying system where maybe society paid them to keep it in, in a grass base, and every year they could hay a quarter of it or a half of it. And the other half was idle. That would be huge. I mean, huge to the wildlife in the state. And I would also argue it's a great way to maintain productivity on those acres. So I think as society, if we're going to value wildlife and, and clean water, we got to start to think outside the box. <laughs> For more information on how farming systems can benefit natural habitat, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. Click on Programs and follow the links to the Multiple Benefits of Agriculture and Pasture-Raised Livestock page. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.